1: Leading off the 6 o'clock hour on Budweiser's weekday sports
2: beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy's good. Number nine. Nine times.
0: Nine times.
1: Nine times. A Midwest League champion.
0: Adios! Walk-off
2: home run, Eloy Jimenez.
1: Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye, and maybe that's a winner. Here's
2: Darren Pritchett. I hear that sound bite, and I laugh now seeing the rumors that the Cardinals are interested in Jose Quintana. I don't think we'll have to give up Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez for Quintana now, but that would definitely be a full circle trade. Welcome to the second hour, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960. WSBT, Darren Pritchett with you, joined by an old friend, former Fighting Irish hockey defenseman, draft pick of the Anaheim Ducks, Kevin Lind. We're going to talk a little White Sox. We're going to talk some NHL. Ian Cole going to the Tampa Bay Lightning. The impact of Brian Rust. TJ Tynan's just destroying the miners the last couple of years, so a lot to get to with Kevin. First off, thanks for doing this, and great to catch up with you. How are you?
1: Thank you for having me, and it it's great to hear your voice again.
2: Same with yours as well, and I'm actually surprised your voice is as strong as it sounds right now, considering I'm imagining you sitting in the man cave at your house, Screaming at your television as the White Sox have had a very weird start to their year. We're already past the halfway point. They're only four games out of first place. It may not feel like it at times, but there's a lot of scrutiny centered around manager Tony LaRusse. And you know, Kevin, I've been a defender of Tony for a long time. I think he's the best manager that has been in the game in my lifetime. But this past year has been just bizarre. He treats Larry Garcia like he's Harold Baines, and you've got some intentional walks on 1-2 and 0-1 pitches. How have you been able to handle this as a Sox fan?
1: Uh, I think everybody from Notre Dame remembers me. I had a pretty good head of hair, but I look like my dad now. I look like a cue ball. I'm pulling my hair out. It's falling out. I mean, this is it's unbelievable. This was supposed to be the year, right? I mean, this was the rebuild we were waiting for. So, unfortunately, you know, we're doing this interview and they're on a three game winning streak and the the offense has woken up a little bit here too. But, um, you know, we remember the whole season. We're still, I don't even think we're at 500 yet. So uncle Tony's not off the hook yet.
2: Are you surprised that this team has sputtered along without really much juice so far this year? It almost feels like Kevin, and I hate to say this because there's still only four games out of first and they could still win the division, but it's been kind of a sleepy first half where there's not like there's a lot of emotion and fire. In fact, outside of Tim Anderson having that incident with the Yankees, it just feels like everything's a little stale right now on the South side.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I liked what they did last night. Zavala on, you know, the, the, the game winning drop third strike. there, kind of mixing it up and getting everybody involved. That's what you need. You need a spark like that. Like I said, they're on a three game winning streak right now, but I mean, you, you look at this division, and, and you look at the managers in this division and how they play, and, and, and I'll go down the line here. It's Terry Francona. He's a hard-nosed guy. He, his players know what is expected, and they're not the most talented bunch, but they work, and they work, and they come to play. Same thing with Rocco Baldelli. Not the best player of all time, but a scrappy guy has his Minnesota team playing scrappy, and I'll even go as far as A.J. Hinch, a guy that for Uncle Tony we passed up on for whatever reason <laughs> – and he has his Detroit team playing well, playing hard. They're not going to win. They know they're not going to win, but he's teaching them to play the right way. And that's the biggest thing with me. We are a sleepy team. We reflect our manager, who looks like he's asleep in the dugout. He looks like he's asleep in the postgame press conferences. And that's what we're getting right now. And according to me, it is unacceptable the way that this team has played and the way that Tony Larusa is handling this team.
2: Hmm. Well, if Bob Nightingale from USA Today is on the right track, that there are some clubhouse issues, there is a lack of leadership. From my standpoint, Kevin, when you think about a manager's duties at the major league level, the analytics sort of steer you in the direction of how to manage the game. It's almost done for you by the general manager, the analytics department, the front office. You need to handle your pitching staff well, and you need to take care of your locker room. You know, I don't watch every game, but it seems like the the pitching staff's been handled good enough. But in terms of letting the clubhouse get a little uneasy, that's a major concern, especially when you consider, Kevin, there's a lot of young guys in that locker room, a lot of international players, and I think you have to kind of really – not be necessarily their best friend, but you got to have a relationship with those guys. And for the locker room to be a little uneasy right now, as Nightingale reported, that probably is the most disappointing thing from my standpoint, considering this is a Hall of Fame manager.
1: I agree. And, and the one thing you would think with a, a veteran guy like that is holding the guys accountable and making sure that they know that they're responsible for their actions. And, and that hasn't been so, so far. You know, we're, we're, there's, the same guys are making the same mistakes. You know, there's base running issues. How about when Mankata and Engel don't tag up? That was a Little League play. I mean, that's stuff where championship teams don't do that. They don't give away outs, and they sure don't give away triple plays mm-hmm. on the first, you know, 8-5 triple play that's ever happened in Major League history in 150 years. So that is undisciplined, and that's not holding those guys accountable. So, And especially with young players. Everybody, you know, wants to be a star in all this, that comes with time and that comes with learning to play and play in this league and play discipline and not make mistakes. And this team is making mistakes that are, you know, according to me, I think yeah. very, very avoidable mistakes.
2: Considering the relationship between owner Jerry Reinsdorf and Tony LaRusso and the past history between the two, I think the only way LaRusso gets fired is if Hawk Harrelson becomes the GM.
1: Yeah, well. Uncle Hawk, I, I hope he's listening to this one over in Granger. He's a, uh, a regular over in Granger. So, That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, you know, looking at Ozzy Gian, I think he'd be fired up to be the manager there, too. So, no, I, I think Nightingale also reported that he will never, uh, you know, he'll never be fired. Tony yeah. will never be fired in Chicago ever again. So.
2: Hmm. Well, they're only four games out of first, Kevin. That's the good news. They could still win this division, get into the playoffs. I'm not sure they match up well with the Yankees or the Astros, but just try to get there. And I agree with you. This rebuild was kind of established for 2022 to be the go year, and it's definitely been a disappointment. But there's still things that can be salvaged, and who knows, maybe they'll tweak some things at the trade, that deadline, trying to make this team better.
1: You know, there's a lot of baseball left. they are only four games out, like you said, and I think that just because of the poor start, we feel like it is much worse. But, you know, like I said, three-game winning streak right now, they have to keep going. They have to build off this, and you have to win these division games. Going into the All-Star game, um, the All-Star break, you know, we haven't done well against the division. We were 0-5, 0-6 in Cleveland and Minnesota up until these last three wins. So they're on the right track, and you're right, only four games back with some heavy, you know, firepower that traditionally – These guys don't hit in the Chicago weather until it warms up. Now it's warming up, so hopefully, you know, they'll be the bats will warm up here soon as well.
2: Let's switch to hockey for a couple of moments. And when you think about the rise of Notre Dame hockey, a couple of things come to mind right away. Obviously, Jeff Jackson becoming the head coach of Notre Dame hockey changed the look of this program. And I think a lot of people would agree that the next step for Notre Dame hockey was to bring in that first elite talent. And that turned out to be Ian Cole, who seemed to be destined to go to Michigan. He picked the Fighting Irish, first-round pick of the St. Louis Blues. That sort of opened the floodgates, and not too long after, your great class comes through the University of Notre Dame with guys like Anders Lee and and Brian Russ, Jeff Costello. That was an unbelievable class, and I still think arguably the best class that Notre Dame has ever had. Now you see Ian Cole. He's 33 years old, which makes me feel really old. He's got two Stanley Cup rings, and now he goes from Carolina, who was a Cup contender last year, and he signs a one-year contract with the Tampa Bay Lightning, who, oh, by the way, the last three years, Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup, and runner-up in the Stanley Cup final. I guess considering how good Tampa Bay has been and couple that with the way Ian Cole plays on defense, do you feel like this is a really good match for these two?
1: I think a thousand percent. Yeah. And anytime you can, you know, anytime you go through what Tampa has has gone through, we saw with the Blackhawks, you're going to have, you're going to have movement. Guys are going to be in guys are going to be out. So to get a veteran like that, you know, at only $3 million and a guy who has two Stanley cups and how many games played, it's an unbelievable match. And it's a great fit for them going forward to have that veteran presence on the, he's going to chew up minutes. He's going to, you know, kill penalties. He's going to block shots. That's what Tampa needs you know, reprieve for those young guys who can go out and make skills. So I think it's a great sign, a great signing.
2: I've never asked you this. When was the first time you heard from Notre Dame when they were serious about bringing you to South Bend?
1: Uh, I'll never forget, actually. So I was always interested in Notre Dame. My brother was a 2009 graduate. He was just a regular student. Um, It was probably, I want to say 2009, 2008, and it was Coach Andy Slager came up to me. And it was at the uh, the festival, so the under seventeen festival. Mm-hmm. I'd finished my first year in the USHL, was going into my second year. Uh, had a really good, really good camp, and ended up out of that camp uh, representing the United States at the under seventeen Ivan Lincoln tournament. So I was packing up the van with my folks, ready to drive back to Chicago, and Andy, you know, stopped by and said, "Hey, we'd like to have you in for a visit. You're playing great." So um, we had, you know, kind of spoken here and there, but the first serious interaction was yeah, in Rochester, New York, after the camp
2: with Andy. How important is Andy Slager to the Notre Dame hockey program?
1: I don't even think words can describe it. I mean, you know, you look at what he's done, and you mentioned guys like Ian and, and, you know, Kale, and I mean, so many great guys that Andy has brought through this this program before he had the Compton Family Ice Arena. You know what I mean? I mean, you you remember the Joyce Center. It wasn't the most (laughs) luxurious luxurious of rinks, but he would get great guys. That 2008 Frozen Four team really paved the way for the rest of us in this program's history, so... I mean, words really can't describe. He's He's been here forever. I think he's been, you know, coaching at Notre Dame since 92, and I was born in 92. So uh, he he's come a <laughs> long way. He means a lot to the program.
2: My guest is former Irish hockey defenseman Kevin Lind, the only player coach in Notre Dame history to play and coach in a frozen Ford. I get that right?
1: I believe so, yes. The last time I uh,
2: I had heard, yes. Yeah, that's right. I, see, I remember the important stats. <laughs> hey, let's talk that's about right. a guy that you know extremely well, and you played with Ed Notre Dame, Brian Rust, who got a brand new, brand new deal to stay with the Pittsburgh Penguins. From what I've heard, he's probably left a little money on the table, but he wanted to stay in Pittsburgh, and why not when you're on the same line as Sidney Crosby? What type of impact would you say Brian Rust has had on the Pittsburgh Penguins, and are you surprised to the level his game has really risen over the last few years?
1: I would say I am surprised. I mean, you remember him at Notre Dame. He was a great player, but he was surrounded by a lot of really, you know, high-end all-star type players. So he kind of, you know, fit in the mix and was a great player there. But, you know, behind TJ Tynan, who was National Rookie of the Year, and Anders and everything that he did, he kind of got lost in the shuffle. And the thing that I'm most proud of him is Mike Sullivan, his AHL coach, got hired and gave him a chance. And he came in, played on the fourth line, and killed penalties, and he did everything the right way. So... You're right he might have left a little bit on the table but uh, you know i'm i'm kind of old school so how cool is it that one guy you know hopefully is going to play his entire career for the team that drafted him you know that would be really neat and um you know hats off to him he's made a a tremendous career you know and a great teammate great person and, and obviously means the world to that team and and it's nice to see that the team means the world to the athlete too and he decides to stay there he's got you know, a, a wife and family and everything, so they're comfortable there, and it's nice that he was able to, you know, kind of take the pressure off and sign that contract, and now get back to playing hockey and hopefully winning some more Stanley Cups.
2: Rust, Crosby, Gensel—that's a pretty good offensive line in Pittsburgh. Let's move to. The Blackhawks, just for a second, if you don't mind. You're a a Chicago native, and the Blackhawks are going through a major change right now. I was shocked when Alex Debrinket was traded away for draft picks. They are changing the look of this franchise. Now they still have Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane with major contracts. They're eating up a lot of salary cap room right now as they go through this rebuild. I I guess, I'm not sure how much of a Hawk fan you are, but you follow hockey, you see what Chicago is doing. This feels like this could be a painful rebuild for the fan base.
1: Yeah, I I agree. It could be painful, but I think ultimately it's the right thing. I mean, you look at, especially in the Western Conference, you look at our division. I mean, they're not getting out of that division, let alone getting past teams like Colorado or Edmonton or, you know, looking in the division, Minnesota, Nashville, they just can't compete with those teams. So. You know, it's the old adage. You, do you try to patch it up or do you, do you tear it down? And right now, you hire a new GM, you hire a new coach who are on the same page. I think it's the right play because you're not going to contend. You're not going to win the Stanley Cup. And ultimately, that's what we want and that's what we expect. So if it takes a few years, it's going to be tough. But, you know, you, you put your trust in, in the people that you hired and you hope that they're doing the right thing. But, you know, with this patch up job and, and you know, trying to get guys here, trying to get guys there you see the team that Colorado has, you see the Mm. team that Tampa has, they're deep, they're built. And they're, you know, they're, they got guys that are healthy scratches that are, you know, unbelievable players that will be playing somewhere else. So you have to have depth in this league and the Hawks don't have it. And, And I agree that, you know, they got some great draft picks. They got some great draft picks last year with the Hagel trade. So now it's all about developing and finding those guys that you like and getting them in the right position, which they did 10, 12 years ago when they were winning Stanley cup. So for me as a Hawks fan, I'm looking, you know, glass half full and, and you got to trust the guys that they're going to do what, what, you know, is best for the team and it's best for their lives too. You know, everybody doesn't realize that, you know, it's these guys' lives too. So their their butts are on the line and, and you know, you got to put your trust in them. But you can't keep doing that patchwork in the Western Conference. You, you got you to reload and, and you got to have depth.
2: I'm betting, Kevin, if you asked this front office and you gave them some true serum, they probably wish the old front office wouldn't have traded for Seth Jones last year, which is kind of a hindrance to what they're trying to accomplish right now. They gave up some pretty good assets for that defenseman, and I think they probably overpaid him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now you look at it, like you said, you overpaid for it, and and he's a great player. He's an unbelievable player. He's got so much on his back. You know, at times you feel really bad for him, but... You're right. Would you rather have those assets and, and those draft picks than a guy who, you know, unfortunately might waste away some prime years in his career on a team that, you know, is is openly trying to, to rebuild and not not win. So it's tough for him and I agree. I think that in retrospect, if if Kyle Davidson had the chance, you know, he would go back and, and that's not the only trade I think that he would review of Sam hmm. Bowman's. We'll just leave it at that, I
0: think. <laughs>
2: TJ Tynan, another member of your class at Notre Dame. I know a good friend of yours. The LA Kings locked him up on a two year contract extension. Average annual value $787,500. He's coming up back to back MVPs in the American Hockey League, the top minor leagues that hockey has. And he is coming off an unbelievable year, 98 points, averaged 1.58 points per game, the highest of any skater over a full AHL season in 15 years, 48 assists, third most in a single AHL season, and just the fifth player in AHL history to win back-to-back MVP awards, the first to do it since Paul Gardner in 85-86. First off, comment on what T.J. Tynan has done the last couple of years, and then factoring in what I just mentioned about the two-year contract extension and the amount of money the Kings locked him up with. Is that a sign that he's going to have every opportunity to be a member of their roster when opening night occurs in just a couple of months?
1: I mean, you you talk those numbers, those are video game numbers. I mean, it's unbelievable what he does in, in that league, and Just a great kid. So me and TJ have been playing together since we were five years old, and he's been the same player since he was five years old. The best kid on the ice, the best player. Um, You know, it's nice to see L.A. lock him up for two years like that. I don't know. You know, L.A. obviously has some some pretty high-power names in in the top six there, and when you bring a guy like that up, you know, he doesn't necessarily get those top six minutes. So do you bring a guy up, or do you bring up, you know, first-round picks that you want to develop, get him slow, get him penalty-killing and things like that? That's a question for LA. We would hope so. I mean, it's crazy to think with those numbers that he couldn't, you know, contribute at least a little bit on a power play or something in the NHL with how skilled those guys are. But, um, you know, it's great to see him get locked up there. I know he loves it out there. I know he loves the team. And, honestly, he's so important to that, to that locker room down in the AHL. He wears a letter. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he was wearing the C next year. Mm. Um, and he's teaching. You know, they have those young guys. They have Byfield. They have Turcotte, who's a young Chicago kid. We know his father very well, Alfie, from skating in Chicago growing up. So turcott Byfield, those young guys, TJ's there to teach those guys how to be pros, right? And what does that mean? Coming to the rink, practicing every day, eating right. This is a full-time job. You're getting paid a lot of money to do this. And TJ's a great guy down there to help those guys do that. So I think he accepts his role pretty well. And then when they need him up in the big club, he's ready to go. So he's very, uh, very unfazed, kind of very relaxed and very – you know, down to earth. So when when his number's called, he's always been ready, and that's just kind of how he's always been.
2: I'm going to test your memory for a second. All your years playing hockey, I'm wondering, did you ever play with or play against someone that had a torn ACL and came back? And I ask that because one of your classmates, Anders Lee, I guess less than two years ago suffered an ACL injury, came back this year, really took off, I think, in the second half of the year. I'm just curious, as a hockey player, is it easier, is it tougher to come back from an ACL injury compared to a basketball player or a football player? Sure. Well,
1: it's definitely less common in hockey because of that. You know, we're not planting, we're more gliding. So the times mm-hmm. where you see it happen are when the skate gets stuck in the boards or stuck on something and you get that planted twist. The only one that I can think of is another Notre Dame guy, Bobby Nardella, who had one in, uh, when he was in Tri-City before Notre Dame. And we all know what a great Notre Dame career he had and and what a great skater he was. So he came back stronger than ever. And, you know, anybody I've ever heard with an ACL injury in hockey, you know, comes back and and does very well. So Bobby and Anders are the only two that I've heard of. And, you know, both of them are having great careers. Okay.
2: Final question for you. Think back to being a college athlete. Had you had NIL transfer portal opportunities would you have liked those opportunities? Do you not really care? How do you react to how hockey and other sports have now changed at the collegiate level? I think it's interesting.
1: Um, you know, I don't have one way, an opinion one way or the other. Um, you know, I won't lie to you, my freshman year, we, we had 12 guys in our class, and, and, you know, I think I was healthy scratch 10 or 11 times. If the rules were different when I was there, I, you know, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I wouldn't have explored my options, right? Because back then it was, you got to go back to the USHL, you lose it, you know, you might lose some eligibility. Mm-hmm. It was just a whole mess. And now with the free transfer, you know, you only have four years in college and you only have one career. So, you know, I love my time. I'm glad I stayed. I'm glad I worked to, you know, be on the top pair with Steven for those last two years. And, and you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but if you have that option, you know, now a lot of guys can just say, the adversity hit. I don't want to work through this, and I'm out. And I'm not saying that everybody's like that. There's sure. obviously times where you need to transfer, but you know, the rules are are different, and I think it's good for the athlete. And ultimately, that's the biggest thing that that I want, and I think a lot of people want is is you know what's best for the athlete and what's best for the kid. If you're in a bad situation, well, I think it's really good that you can get out and get get rid of that situation because you only have one career, and you know we've seen a lot of it in sports. It, it can it can be ruined, and you know by a decision like that. So. I think I like it a little bit.
2: And I bet you probably would have enjoyed the Big Ten over Hockey East, and your family probably would have liked it better, a lot easier travel. Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, Notre Dame does such a great job, and we were so fortunate. I mean, you remember we were chartering flights out of, you know, South Bend Airport to Hockey East. But you're right. I mean, it it wears on you, and the travel wears on you. And, um, you know, the Big Ten just being regional and some of those great schools and great barns and the history that they have with Notre Dame. Obviously, you know, we have the BCs and the BUs and things like that, but you're playing some of these schools that, you know, UMass Lowell doesn't ever play Notre Dame in anything, so it's not really a big rivalry, whereas, you know, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Minnesota, all those schools, we're playing them in everything,
0: you know, at, at
1: all sports levels, so, so, you know, the hatred is there. But um, our time in Hockey East was great. We loved it. You know that. We got to, you know, go to the TD Garden for the Final Four there, um, it was a great learning experience, and it was something that I definitely wouldn't give up because you got to play, you know, great players. We got to play Kevin Hayes and Johnny Goudreau and all those players, and <laughs> we normally wouldn't have had that that experience.
2: No question. Good to catch up with you. Appreciate your insight, and hang in there with the White Sox. It all may work out at the end.
1: I will. I still have faith in the boys. This team is a, you know, they're built to last. They're they're a strong bunch. They got a lot of studs. They can stay healthy they can start heating the bats up, I think they'll be good. So thank you very much for having me, and it was great to hear your voice again.
2: You bet. You as well. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Kevin Lynn, former Fighting Irish Hockey defenseman, Draft pick of the Anaheim Ducks. Joining me to talk a little hockey here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It is 6.32 on this Friday evening. I'm Darren Pritchett, and we're live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com, the WSBT radio app, and now available on the Twitch app.